If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I will say this, beloved, it was a blessing not only to hear them sing this morning, it was a blessing to hear you sing this morning. It was a blessing to be singing with you this morning. Let me give you a few things here before we dive in this morning. I am so thrilled to be with you. I am thrilled to be in this place. And I know that it is few of us, and that's fine. And, and, and I'm thankful that we have those in the chapel and, and those who are watching. Uh, but it, is, it has been a long two weeks uh, for, for many of us, and, and for some of us more than others. A lot has happened. A lot has happened. Um, but by God's grace, we are here. And we have much to sing about. If you remember two weeks ago when we left off, we have much to sing about. And so uh, it, it, is, it is by God's grace that we are here and we are pressing on and we are doing our best <coughs> to draw near to God and to draw near to one another. We have experienced many difficulties uh, since the last time that we've met. And several of our faith family are sick with COVID. Uh, as I said earlier, though, so far, they are all doing very well. Um, some of our faith family have lost loved ones, not just recently, but even this past year. Our community, our state, our country has suffered loss, yet there is still, beloved, much to be thankful for. And there is so much to be thankful for, but for God's grace. And so we are thankful that, um, that many of our faith family who have had COVID are, are now in the past, over the last few months, are better, and they are here with us, and we have some here who are here today who have missed several weeks and so and months, and so they're back with us. And so I rejoice in the Lord for that. Um, I am thankful because we still have a precious uh, opportunity to share, to proclaim the gospel. I am thankful um, that, uh, that those who we have lost, um, that though we have lost, they have gained, that they have gained to, to live as Christ, but to die as gain for the believer. And thankful because... In spite of the trials and the sufferings and things that we go through, our joy remains because it cannot be taken away from us. And so this morning, as I came here this morning as your pastor, one of the things that I wanted to do, and I really struggled with this, and you can ask my wife, you can ask Brother Trey, that I think they saw within me the struggle that I was dealing with. I wanted to come this morning and I just wanted to tackle COVID again. I wanted to, I wanted to come and bring some messages to you uh, starting this new year out uh, concerning what I noticed in 2020 and, and in hopes of, of preaching some messages that would give you hope and encourage you, but also strengthen you in 2021, things that I saw that, that we need. Um, but I have decided against that. Uh, what I want to do is... is is I believe with all my heart as pastor, we need some consistency in our lives. And so we need to, we just need to be consistent coming to church on Sundays and getting in the routine again, hearing the word of God, worshiping in song and prayer and preaching. And so what I've decided is I want us to get back into the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And I believe that God is sanctifying our church. I truly believe this with all of my heart that God is doing something here at FBC. And he is and he's using uh, this, this book, this, this sermon series that we're doing to help mold us into the healthy, strong church uh, that he has for us to be. And, and yet as I, as I accepted that and dove into that, 
here's what I found, that God in his providence is so amazing and so, he's so much better than I am. Because in his providence, he gives us a wonderful word, kind of indirectly this morning, but he gives us a wonderful word for 2021. And, and so I'm excited this morning for us to get back into the book of First Corinthians. As you and I are pressing forward now in 2021, and my hope is, is that we, FBC, not the building, not the organization, but we, the people, will strive for faithfulness this year. We'll strive for faithfulness. So today, I want to pick up where we left off. Chapter 4, if you are new to FBC, or you're just in need of a refresher, you can go to chapters 1, uh, you can find chapters 1, 2, and 3 on our website, you can go back and you can listen to those. Uh, but let me just give you a quick, quick review. Uh, we've titled this series, Dear Church, because it is a letter. It is a letter. So Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. Um, it has garnered the name, the corrective letter, for a reason. The, the Apostle Paul is writing to correct bad church practices and behaviors. And so the list of issues is numerous. There was pride. There was embracing of worldly philosophies. They were ignoring horrendous sins within the church. And most of all, there was division and quarreling and fighting and, and this creating of factions the source of their quarrels in these factions was over what leader was best. Because like many churches, they'd had many different spiritual leaders come into the church. And so many of them didn't even like the Apostle Paul as much. They didn't think he was as good as Apollos or Peter. And so Paul, over the last two and a half chapters, he's revealed the foolishness and the error of this thinking, <coughs> of this behavior. And he has shown them the power of preaching the gospel. The power of God's wisdom found in the gospel. And he's given them lessons on what a true church is. And then he called them, as we saw at the end of chapter 3, he called them to repentance. But now in chapter 4, Paul is now going to deal very directly with this issue of the pastor. And so here we are, 2021, we're going to see this morning... What God views for the pastor, for the elder. And I'm going to use those two words, okay? So when I say elder, I'm referring to pastor. We're going to interchange them out because they're the same thing. So Paul turns his sights now to the relationship of the pastor, elder, and the church. Since this was the source of division and pride, and, the mis and they were misguided in their understanding, Paul wants to correct how they view the pastor and you say, well, Brother Brian, how, where does that kind of come for a New Year's work? Just, you'll see as we walk through this. But I want you to see four things this morning. I want you to see the role, the responsibility, and the requirement of the pastor. And then I want you to see the rebuke or the reproach of the congregation. The reproach of the congregation. So look with me in chapter 4 this morning, beginning in verse 1. He says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. And so therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart, and then each man's praise will come to him <coughs> from God. 
And we praise the Lord for his word. Notice first the role of the pastor this morning. As we begin, Paul says here, let a man regard us in this manner. Let a man, the man being the church, it could be either the, con- uh, the member within the church or it could be uh, of somebody in the community, just whoever, let him regard the pastor, the elder, in this manner. Now, as I said, this was, they had this misguided view of spiritual leaders, and this was the source of their problem. And so Paul wants to set this straight. He wants to fix this. Because they had been dividing in these factions over their spiritual leaders and over which one they saw was best. Now, is this not a problem that we still have today? Alright? We, we still have this day where we're comparing pastors of the past to the pastor you have now. Or, or comparing your pastor you have now to the pastor down the road or on the television. Whatever. We want to rank our pastors and our elders based upon success. How, how successful are they? And so that's kind of become the new way of calling a pastor we want to get the resume and we want to see all these different things we want to see how big how many baptisms they have at their last church we want to see how many how many people they gain how big is their church or how big did they grow their sunday school how how many seminary degrees have how many articles have they written how many books have they written how how many of all these things or just overall popularity the ranking causes many problems beloved when we begin to do this, the, the, the best church member begins to compare their pastor to those that, that he's followed. And what they say is, is, well, he's not like those. And so they tend to not listen or follow with him. And at worst, they seek to sabotage and get rid of the ones that they don't like. This is a shameful practice. This is, this is a shameful and sinful practice. And the Apostle Paul is dealing very directly with this. Now, let me be very clear on something. Some have taken this as though the Apostle Paul is saying that the pastor is untouchable, that you can't, you can't criticize him, you can't rebuke him. That's not the case here. Paul is not justifying a pastor's lack of holiness. He's not justifying the pastor's lack of, of sound doctrine, of pastoral ministry. He makes it very clear in other writings that a pastor can and should be held accountable no, he is talking more about judging pastors on worldly elements. Christians have no right to parade and use worldly criteria such as popularity, personality, degrees, numbers, all of these things to make their church, to make Christianity and the gospel seem more appealing. And so Paul's point here is, is that the pastors are not to be ranked based upon worldly criteria, but they are to be seen as equals in their role. Notice what he says, they are servants of Christ. The Greek word used here literally means the under rower. You know what that is? The under rower? That's the slave on the the ship. He's at the bottom and he's sitting on the bench and he's chained to the oar. (coughs) And he's rowing the oar. It indicates the lowest galley slave. He's chained. And he sits beside other chained slaves. And no slave in the galley is greater than the other. They all have the same role. They all have the same ranking. They all sit right there at the bottom of the ship rowing the boat. The same position, no matter personality, no matter the size of the church or degree on the wall, 
they are at the bottom of the ship. And Christ is the captain of the ship. Christ determines the direction. He is one who lay, who has laid out his direction there in Scripture. And all pastors, no matter their personality, no matter the size of their church, no matter what books they've written, all pastors have the same role. He is a servant. He is a servant who is to work in moving the ship forward, moving the ship through his preaching and his pastoral ministry in the direction that Christ, the captain, has laid forth. This is one of the things that Trey and I have talked about with uh, guys like John MacArthur, who, who has many degrees and has done has many um, just successes in the world and in, in his life and built seminaries and, and large churches. At the end of the day, this man's resume would be like a scroll that you could probably unroll. But at the end of the day, he looks at himself and he goes, I'm just a slave. This is my role. I'm a servant of Christ who preaches the word and I minister to others. And here's the beauty about pastors. They all come in different, in different personalities. It, you know, that we're all, we're all different. I'm different than Brother Trey and Brother Trey is different than me. And so we, we had pastors and different preachers that we enjoy, and, we, and they have different ways in which they minister to their personalities, and they've done different things. And that's okay. What's not okay, though, is, is to look at one and say that your ministry is not as good, is lesser than the others because I don't like your personality. Or because you didn't write this book, or you didn't get this degree. Because in the eyes of God, we have the same role. And so as you can see, pastors are not celebrities. We're not political pundits. We're not mega church builders. We're not, we're not hired hands. The pastor is the servant of Christ. He answers to Christ He obeys Christ. He rows the ship in the direction that Christ has commanded. He studies what the scripture says. It's a healthy church and he rows the ship in the direction such as healthy church membership and God-honoring worship and and those those core values that we talked about, that family-focused ministry and that determined discipleship and the gospel witness. All of those values that we talked about, all those things that make up a healthy church. The pastor is a servant of Christ, rowing the ship in that direction that he may bring forth those things within the ship that he has been chained to. He has a servant who serves. But notice also he has a responsibility. Notice what Paul says next. Paul says, he says, regard us as stewards of the mysteries of God. So he has a role. And one could say that this is, this is also a role steward, but, but I think it's a little more than just that. I think it really lays forth and it, it kind of expresses the responsibility. Regard us as stewards of the mysteries of God. This is another role for, for, for the pastor. He is a house manager. He is placed in complete control of the estate. He is a slave. But he is a slave who has been given a responsibility. He supervises the property, the fields, the vineyards, the the finances, the food, the other servants on behalf of his master who is, for the pastor, it is Christ. Think of of Joseph and Potiphar. Think of Joseph in, in Egypt. He never was the ruler He had many responsibilities and many works, 
But at the end of the day, he was still a slave or a servant to his master. In comparison, the pastor oversees the church. He does not rule, for that is Christ's position. But he does have a task. And he has been given the task of managing the goods of his master. And in this case, it is the mysteries of God. Now, what is meant by these mysteries? Well, mysteries refer to the revelation of God. That being the gospel. That being the Bible, the truth that we find, those biblical truths that we find from the scriptures and that we pull out. It is, it is the elder's main responsibility that he study the word, that he take the Bible, that he take it, and that he, that he use this and manage it properly for the people that he has been placed over. The Word of God being the most valuable asset that God has given us. And therefore becoming the preacher's greatest priority. Preaching and teaching of the Word of God is the number one, the greatest responsibility. Not hospital visits. Not, not growing the church numerically. Not, not making people feel better about themselves. Not, not gaining popularity within the community. Not being a political pundit. The Master, Christ, has prioritized one thing for the pastor. There are other things, but, but the one thing that matters at the end of the day, the one thing that matters the most is are you a good steward of the mysteries that I've given you? How does one manage the mysteries? And again, mysteries, it's revelation. It's the biblical truth that God has revealed from His Word. So how does one manage this? I think there are two things that we see, and you could, we could go back in Scripture, we probably could find several more, but, but I think there are two things that, that just really kind of come to mind here. Number one, the steward preserves and protects the master's mysteries. It is his property, it is, it is his assets, it is his estate, and so therefore he preserves it, he protects it. The elder does not allow the word of God to be twisted for the approval of the masses. He does, not, he does not hide it in fear of offending, nor substitute it with any worldly manna in hopes of drawing in more people. No, he keeps it as pure and as right as he possibly can. Beloved, you need to know that every pastor will be held accountable for how did they preserve the word of God. That when the pastor stands before God, it's not going to be like, how many sermons did you preach? It's not, it's not just going to be, you know, how many people were saved under your sermons? How many, people, how, how many people joined the church because of your preaching? He is going to be held accountable for in all of your years of standing behind that pulpit. Did you keep it pure? Did you keep it right? Or did you twist it? No, he works, the pastor works to make sure that when the master comes home, the mysteries are as he left them. But secondly, the steward has the duty of dealing out the proper portion to every servant. Not only was he in charge of just preserving it, he had the job of making sure that every servant that he was placed over got fed. He had the job of, of, of feeding those in his care. Do you, do you remember Joseph? 
And you remember the wheat and the barley and and how it was all set aside. And then the famine came. And when the famine came, they would come. And he would delve out to them a a portion of the food that they may be nourished, they may be strengthened, that they may survive. That That is the primary role here. The steward has the duty of dealing out the proper portion to every service. So he not only preserves and provides for those he, he left this in his care, but a pastor's responsibility is also to feed the congregation the Word of God week in, week out, so that they may be full and satisfied until they come back to the table again the following week. And then on Wednesday nights, we just we give you some, some, more, little, some good snacks, new, good nutrition in midweek. <coughs> you remember Peter and Christ? Or Christ asked him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord, and feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. The steward who truly loves his master will feed those in his care. Beloved, this is where expositional preaching comes into play. I'll share this with you as something that is more, that is me being transparent with you as a pastor, as one who stands in the pulpit week in and week out. In Acts chapter 20, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says this to the church of Ephesus. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you, notice this, the whole purposes of God. That has been my prayer for such a long time. That when, like Paul, I stand before the Lord, that I declared all of God's word. The whole purposes. And so that's the reason why we, we, we go through books and we go verse by verse by verse. And we're doing expositional and systematic preaching. We go from one thing to the next. Because, because at the end of the day, Paul knows that this is his responsibility he knows that he, he's been given this great task, that he has to give the whole word, the whole purposes to God. And so Paul's not just bouncing around, going on what he feels. Paul, Paul is just, he, he's laying it all out, one thing after another. And so that's what, that's what we're doing in preaching, is that when we get in the pulpit, we want to preach in such a way that when our ministry is done, and that we are called away, or called home to be with the Lord, that when we stand before the Lord, that we can say... God, I've declared everything to them. The pastor proclaims the truth of Scriptures week in and week out. This is his responsibility. But not only this, is also where gospel-centered preaching comes in. And so important is that every week the pastor not only proclaims the word week, week in and week out, but he is telling the world of Christ. He is proclaiming to the world Christ That Christ died for their sins. That Jesus' death on the cross is your salvation and is your hope in this world. And it is your only hope. That apart from Christ you cannot be saved, beloved. That you need to repent of your sin and believe upon Christ. And I would tell you that today, beloved. I would tell every one of you today that Christ has given his life for you. And I would pray that every Sunday, that no matter who's in the pulpit, that we would proclaim that, that Christ gave his life for you, that he lived a perfect life for you, that, and then he gave his life willingly on the cross, and he died for your sins, rising from the grave, having victory over sin and death, and that you can have a part in that. 
come to Christ this morning and repent of your sins. This is the task of the preacher. This is, this is the task which strengthens and nourishes the church every week. This is why we're meeting. Did you know that? This is why that we fight to meet on Sunday after Sunday in the midst of a pandemic that seems like it's never going to end. Because you need something to nourish you and help you, to strengthen you. And where do you get that? But in the worship of God, in the gathering with the believers. You know how much we needed you this week? How much I needed you this week? How, how, how I needed this this week? To gather on Sunday to be fed and nourished that I can face the week. This should be the first thing a search committee should, should ask a pastor. What is your primary responsibility? When you come to this church, what, what is the one thing that you are going to do? And I remember this search committee. I remember when they asked me that. And I said, I'm going to preach. And then I followed that up with, I preach more than 30 minutes. Is that okay? I, I remember leaving and Melanie going, you really don't want to go there, do you? I was like, I, I get to preach 40 minutes at my church I'm at now. They're going to have to, you know. Preach. It is the primary, primary responsibility of the pastor to proclaim the word. But beloved, I want you to see now the requirement. Because now Paul says, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found, notice this, trustworthy or faithful. <laughs> Faithfulness is the quality that rises above the rest. Not the degree and not the size of the church. Not his accolades. No, no, no. The, the Corinthian church was ranking and quarreling over which spiritual leader had a better personality and all these other things. That was their standard for who was the better pastor, yet God's standard is different. God saw success in the pastor who strove to be faithful in his role as a servant being obedient to him and in his responsibility, who faithfully preserved and provided the word of God week in and week out. Sadly, this problem persists even today. Where pastors and elders are not judged on the faithfulness, but they are judged on the, all these other standards. Many good pastors have been run off and hurt because they didn't meet the worldly standards of the congregation. All the while, the God of heaven is more concerned with trustworthiness of his servant. And so as you enter into 2021, beloved, what, is, what should be the, the resolution of the pastor? What, what should be the resolution of the church for the pastor? What should be their greatest hope that, that their pastor, that their, that their elders would do? That they would be faithful. That they, could, that they would be trustworthy with their role and with their responsibility. For this is what Christ is looking for. Is this man willing to preach and serve even if it's hard? 
Even when it's the most difficult of all things, even, even when doing so could, could even cost him his life in his heart, is he willing to continue? Is he willing to preach even if his preaching offends and, and runs people out of the church? Even if it hurts, even if it stings, is he willing to preach? Is he willing to keep on when others tell him not to? Are we faithful when the government tells us stop preaching? Are we faithful when the community tells us to stop preaching? Are we faithful even when those from within our own church tell us to stop preaching? Is he willing to stay the course though he may be persecuted, though his family may be persecuted? Or better yet, is he willing to stay the course even if the congregation that he preaches and pastors over refuses to hear what he says week after week after week? And Brother Trey and I have talked to many of pastors who find themselves in this very place right here. And every time it is the same advice, keep preaching. Keep preaching. This is the ultimate requirement of the pastor, that he be faithful to the end. That he be faithful in both role and responsibility that he would join with Peter and John who said to the Sanhedrin, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Isn't that what Sunday is, beloved? That we gather together in this place, in this place to sing about what we've seen and what we've heard and what we've felt and experienced. Did, did you not, did, did, were, were you not a part of that singing? It, you, you weren't just listening to Brother Trey, were you? Well, what, what really brings out his prayer on his song in the Lord's Prayer is that, is that we've, we know this prayer. We've been taught this prayer. We've memorized this prayer. We've learned to pray like this. And we join in the singing of it because we know it. Is this not what we do, beloved, when we come and when we pray and we pray for God's blessing upon those who are sick? Is this not when we're being faithful to come and do these things? We can't stop praying about these things that we know that God is here, that God is with us in sickness and suffering and death, even in life. And in the same way, the preaching of the gospel. We cannot stop preaching the gospel we cannot stop rowing the ship. You need to know that. That at the end of the day, beloved, the ship is going to be moving forward. And that we're rowing the ship, not because of, of, of us or, or anything like that, but because of Christ and what He has commanded us to do. So therefore, as the servants and as the stewards of the gospel, we, we preach and we row and we follow the direction of Christ, our captain. Even in circumstances around, even if the circumstances around us are difficult and trying, we must be faithful to the end. Because at the end of the day, the pastor, the elder, does not answer to anyone else but to Christ. Were you faithful? But also notice the rebuke of the congregation. Look at verse 3. 
3 through 5, he says, But to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Paul is being sarcastic. I kind of like it. If anyone knows me, I kind of like sarcasm. And, and so I told Melanie, I said, I, I told her this week, I said, see, I can be sarcastic to my church members. It's okay. Because Paul is being very sarcastic in his reproach here. He sarcastically rebukes him. He's like, it doesn't matter to me what you think. And then he goes, I don't even think, it doesn't matter what I think about myself. He, he's, he's rebuking and reproaching the church for their judgment of spiritual leaders. Again, do not mistake this for holding a pastor accountable for sinfulness or for false preaching. This is judging a pastor based on his worth, ba- on pastor's worth and his ba- the worth of his ministry based on worldly qualities. These people set themselves up like judges on American Idol. They set themselves up like judges at a sporting competition, a gymnastics competition, and they had the, 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 you know, dancing with the stars. This is what it was. And they had the scorecard. And so Paul would come, and he would stay, and he would preach and do, and they would go, I give him a five. He's a five. He's dry. Apollos would come, you know, he was real charismatic. I give you a, I give you a nine. You're charismatic. You're, you're really exciting. You weren't as deep as Paul, but I'm giving you a nine because I liked it. And that's what they were doing. They were raising these scorecards. And, and if they liked you, you did well. If they didn't, you got a one. And this happens within the church all the time. I had a lady one time. We, we had some difficulties, so we were sitting down for coffee. This was many, many years ago in my youth ministry time. And I had a lady literally sit down and look at me. We're working through our difficulties, and she looks at me and she goes, Brian, I just want you to know that I believe that when you stand before God, you're going to be judged on your ministry. And so I think it's my job to make sure you do a good job so when you get to heaven, you'll be okay literally came out of her mouth. Congregation had set themselves up as gods. They set themselves up as the captain of the ship. And Paul says, you're not my judge. And he even goes on to say, I'm not my judge because we pastors do this. We compare ourselves to other pastors and we judge ourselves whether we think that we're really good. And yet, all the while, God sees things in our hearts that we ourselves do not see. And so what does Paul say? He says, Congregation should not judge. The pastor should not make the judgment. Instead, we wait until the time that we all stand before God. And He will be the judge. We must not compare ourselves to Apollos and to Peter and to all the others. Instead, quit worrying about these things and be faithful and wait for the day that we stand before Christ. Paul's rebuke here is very simple below. Do not concern yourself with being the judge of pastors and spiritual leaders. Do not concern yourself with being overseeing the overseer. 
Again, we're not holding accountable for, for sinful things. Stop treating pastors, again, like there are contestants on American Idol. Instead, embrace the role and the responsibility of the pastor, the servant, and the steward that God has given you. But with this reproach comes a question. If we say here, with this reproach comes a question, and this is the question that I must ask you. If Paul is saying to the church, stop being judges on American Idol here, then what should the church concern itself with? We've already established the pastor must concern himself with faithfulness. He is to be faithful in his role and his responsibility. <coughs> but what must the church concern herself with? And the answer? Faithfulness. You see, just like the pastor, the congregation must be concerned with what? Faithfulness. Because they, too, are going to stand before God. And God is going to disclose all of their works, all of their motives, and all of these things, he says. And each man's praise will come to him from God. So, so we know that we're all servants of the Lord. We're all slaves in the galley. And so we're all going to stand before him. And so we must all be faithful you must understand that, that after Paul deals with chapter 4, after he deals with this reproach and this review, you're going to see this going on in the next couple of weeks. But when we get done with chapter 4, here's what's going to happen. From chapters 5 to the very end of the book, Paul is going to deal with faithfulness of the church. Are you faithful in dealing with sin? Because in chapter 5, you've got a guy who's got some really bad sin and you haven't dealt with it. You're not being faithful, church. Sexual purity. You got some people in here who are not being, who are not, who are not really being good husbands and good wives. You, you, you got some, you got some things going on here within your marriages, church. You're not being faithful to the way the Lord's called you to. You got some unity problems. You got some love problems. You got people suing one another. You, you got people who are, who are having a malpractice of the ordinances, the Lord's Supper. And so from chapter 5 on the way through, Paul is going to specifically begin to deal with the church on how to be faithful. Paul is writing this letter below not only to the pastor, but to the church as a whole. And he is declaring to all of us, be faithful. Be faithful. Because too many times we, the church, concern ourselves with things that we have no business concerning ourselves with. And we pridefully put ourselves in positions where we have no right to be. Making judgments about the world, making judgments about the community, making judgments about one another. And only God is the judge. 2020 was nothing but a year of judgment where we made judgments about one another based on things that we saw where we never got to see the true heart of an individual. And God is saying, quit concerning yourself with these things, pastor. Quit concerning yourself with these things, congregation. And all of us need to focus on the issue of being faithful in our roles and our responsibilities. Well, there are going to be times that you may say, Brother Brian, this is hard. And I need you to know this. I need you to know that Brother Trey and I are going to push. We're going to push forward as pastors because we answer to God. And so as a church, we're going to push forward. 
And there may be times that you may say that's different than the rest of the world. There may be things that we do in membership. Maybe there are things we do with church discipline. There may be things that we do. And hopefully this church is going to lay all that out for you. And you're going to, go, you're going to say, man, we've never really seen that in a church. I understand. But understand the motive. The motive is, is we want to be faithful. Do you want to be faithful? Do you want to stand before God, beloved, and Him look at you? And make the judgment, because he will make the judgment. You were faithful as a church. There's going to be times where the things that we do are going to be difficult, and they're going to be hard. But we are pushing forward, because we want to be faithful as a church. The motive is always to be faithful, because we're not the captain. And so I ask of you, beloved, I ask of you that you would pray for Brother Trey and for, for myself this year. That in 2021, that your prayer for us is, is that we would be faithful to draw near to God and draw near to one another, to you. And then in return, guess what our job is going to be? We're going to be praying for you. We're going to be praying for you in 2021, that you will be faithful unto the Lord. God has called you to be faithful to himself. He's called us all to be faithful. And so we are going to be praying and striving together, pastors and church, that we may please God. That is what I want for First Baptist Church this year. That is what I want for myself this year. That we be found faithful. Pastor and church members. That we run the race, beloved, without stop. It said that in... In Greece, they had a race in the Olympics. And I think I've used this before, but it was, a, it was a unique race where the winner was not the one who finished first. He was not the one who had the fastest time. He was not the one who had all the previous medals or anything like that. No, the winner of this race was the one whose torch was the last one to go out. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. And the only way to do that was to run. To run and never give up, but to run and be faithful in running the race. And so as we close this morning, beloved, my prayer for you is this. That you and I, in 2021, will be faithful. Let's pray.